0: Hey, welcome to In Doubt. My name is Daniel Markin and today I'm joined by Andy Steiger. Andy is a good friend of mine. He is a mentor of mine and he is also the president of Apologetics Canada. So we have a lot of discussion on what it means to truly live, truly flourish and what it means to be human and and how that ties up with actually being in relationship and experiencing God. So hope you find this episode enjoyable and hopefully it will be helpful to you. Hey, welcome to in Doubt. My name is Daniel Markin. And welcome back to the program. Today I'm joined by the one, the only Andy Steiger. Ladies and gentlemen, round of applause for Andy Steiger. Thank you. Thank you for that
1: applause. That virtual applause. Daniel, what a what a pleasure. What an
0: honor to be with you today. Happy to have you back. Friends, um, you know, if you've been following this program for a while, we've had Andy on before, but Andy and I have quite a relationship in that he is my pastoral mentor and has been for the last like four years, you know, not so much this year since I kind of have, you know, uh, graduated from my immersed degree, but we still keep in touch and he's still a a great friend. So to have him on the program is huge honorary mentor, I think would be maybe appropriate lifetime coach. (laughs) (laughs) So Andy works with Apologetics Canada. You are the, what, the president of Apologetics Canada. I just make up titles for myself now and again. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> the title I gave myself as of recent. Um, Andy, you know, today we want to talk a little bit about some of your research, some of your ministry. Uh, but maybe for everyone who hasn't been involved with Apologetics Canada, or maybe is new to it, tell us what it is. What's Apologetics Canada? And how did you get to start with Apologetics Canada? Uh,
1: well, Apologetics Canada, or as we like to call it, AC, is a ministry that's been active here in Canada for over 10 years. The ministry began here in British Columbia. It wasn't, you know, I actually, it's funny. I got asked recently how I started this ministry and I can confirm that. I don't think anybody, you know, wakes up one day and says, boy, I want to start an apologetics ministry. Uh, At least I didn't. That was never on the career path for me. My, my love has always been missions. uh, The church I've pastored for 20 years. While I was doing a master's degree, though, at Biola University, I just I was was seeing just research and hearing stories of the number of a number of young people leaving the church, and that was very concerning for me. And I wanted to address that. And so, with this this heart for for missions, really feeling like God was calling me back to Canada at that point, I was doing my master's in in Los Angeles. You know, my wife and I coming back to Canada to start up this ministry to address this issue. And and it ended up being just something that God bless and continues to bless. That word uh, apologetics, I know various people over the years have said, man, I think you picked the worst name for your organization. <laughs> so I, I always appreciate that kind of encouragement in ministry. That's always, it's always uh, helpful. It's the hard
0: words. It's the hard words that uh, they cut deep. <laughs>
1: But I actually was very specific about choosing that because this is a part of the Christian tradition that's been lost or has been dragged through the mud because it's been done poorly. And in many ways, I wanted to redeem it. So I I said, you know what? I'm just going to go for it and call it apologetics. Um, Now, I didn't have it in mind to be so grandiose when I called it Apologetics Canada. Uh, Good friends in Los Angeles that I started working with while I was doing my master's were running an organization called apologetics.com encourage you to check them out, good guys and gals, but we were gonna be like Apologetics.com Canada. That never happened. We just dropped the .com and became Apologetics Canada. That word, though, is a biblical word. You find it in the Bible. Uh, In the Greek, it's apologia, and we translate that as apologetics, and the word just means to give an answer or a reason, and specifically within the biblical context, to give a reason for the hope that you have in Jesus. Fun fact, Daniel. You go to Greece today, and you had to go to the a court of law and stand up and and give a reason for your beliefs or whatever it might be. Uh, that would it's still today in Greek. It
0: is an apologia. It's a reason. Amazing. Um, are there different types of apologetics? This is something I always wonder because oftentimes when I I think apologetics, you think of uh, apologetics ministries. A lot of them focusing on like creation arguments. Or the science and evolution versus the Bible, um, or you know William Lane Craig and the, the, this philosophical ideas of does God exist? Because I ask this because I know a lot of your ministry it deals with that, but also deals with a lot of cultural thing. Are cultural cultural pieces? Are there differences between you know the types of apologetics you're doing, or are there different types of apologetics?
1: Yeah, I, I, you know it's interesting. The answer to that is yes. There's different types of apologetics, but there's even different types of or different ways of doing apologetics. And so that becomes challenging when you're starting a ministry because everybody wants to pigeonhole you or say, oh, you're like this, like this is the kind of you know organization you are. So for us, as an example, we are what's called the primary issues focused organization. And by that, we mean that You know, we're an evangelistic organization that's primary focus is is sharing the gospel. And every time we address any issue, our desire is always to bring it back to a core foundational issue. So, you know, maybe we could get into that later, what that looks like. But that's always going to be what we're going to do. So with Apologetics Canada, for example, you're not going to find us entering into debates on creation versus evolution. At AC, we would see that as a secondary issue. We wouldn't see that as a primary issue. For us, the primary issue is that God created the heavens and the earth, not how God created the heavens and the earth. So that that kind of is already a bit of a distinction uh, as a primary issues focused organization. Now, that doesn't mean that people on staff don't have an opinion or I don't have an opinion or that I don't think that those sorts of things are good things to talk about, of course, but it's not what we're focused on. As an organization. So that's one aspect of apologetics where you can you can find different flavors, you know, dependent on what is their focus. So again, our focus is on the gospel. Now, within doing apologetics with regards to the gospel, there are different apologetic approaches, uh, philosophically speaking or theologically speaking. So, for example, you can have somebody who is a presuppositionalist and and that ultimately become becomes this, type of apologetics that sees this presupposition tends to be more in the reformed camp, this presupposition uh, uh, that wants to approach questions in a certain type of way, where they're going to want to, say, bring you to this, this idea that God's necessary in order for this, this, or that to be to be true you can also see this play out in say evidential uh, apologetics or classical apologetics and if you're wondering you know more about those uh you can get a book on it I think there's a book called like five views on apologetics it shows different approaches uh so for example a good friend of mine uh Jay Warner Wallace he's a homicide detective uh he is an evidentialist through and through so he he very much sticks to that script Whereas somebody like myself, I am quite open to all the different ways of, of doing apologetics and sharing your faith. I don't think you need to stick to just one way of doing it. I'm more open to to dabbling in all of them, whereas some others, for better or worse, will just stick with a certain style of apologetics.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's something I've always appreciated about you is your willingness to, to, be, to, to serve people where they are. Because a lot of people might not know this, but some of your ministries a lot of the times is going and speaking at a local church. And your heart behind that is to equip people, right? Here's a little nugget for you to chew on as you go forward about you know, how to understand the gospel better, but, but also how to know Jesus better uh, through that. And then also, you have been meeting with MPs, members of parliament. And, and helping Christian members of parliament think through policy and think through how to be a Christian in Ottawa. And so you're, you're, you have quite the, the ministry across Canada and it's, it's a very robust and unique ministry. You know, uh, uh,
1: there's another aspect to this too, Daniel, just to bring up, and you're right. We, we do, we work with all sorts of people. We have, we have uh, ministry contacts, you know, all over. We're trying to, you know, equip Christians no matter what they're, they're doing. But, one of the things I think is so interesting about apologetics, because you're talking about different types of apologetics and, and what that looks like. And and I think this is an important point as you're talking about me you know, being at churches and those sorts of things, that I understand apologetics as a tool in the discipleship tool belt. So if there's any Christians listening to me, particularly in ministry, this will make sense to you. So I see the church as God's game plan A. I don't think there is a game plan B. And I think that all Christians have been called to share the hope that they have, the reason that they place their trust in Jesus. And part of that is making disciples. That's part of the great commission that we see at the end of Matthew. So I understand apologetics is just a tool in that tool belt of what does it look like to share your faith and to do discipleship. I don't, I don't think it's the only tool, uh, but I do think it's an important tool uh, in our day. And I'll add one other thing that I think is really key, and that is, as Peter talks about apologetics in 1 Peter 3:15, which is you know this, the famous, most famous passage, but you can find apologetics elsewhere in the New Testament. He says, you know, do so with gentleness and respect. And so, that's where you can get a different flavor of what it looks like to do apologetics. Where some people can be far more aggressive and and less winsome, whereas my desire is to respect people um, and to enter into a healthy conversation with them as I as I share my hope in Jesus you know where you're doing that again with that that concept of what Peter's talking about with gentleness
0: and respect yeah so often I think the mistake of a lot of people getting into apologetics or watching a lot of videos um is forgetting the gentleness respect and even the love piece. because I think we can get so focused on learning all these arguments having all this head knowledge and when you then evangelize to someone the, the whole you know, by default, and part of that's our own sinful nature, but it just turns into like, I'm going to mentally walk circles around you, philosophically walk circles around you until you concede and and hold my view and believe in my view. And I I don't think that is what Peter's talking about there when it comes to sharing your faith and and sharing the gospel. Um, One of the pieces that you've added to your ministry over the years is you've written some books. And in particular, your first book, Thinking, came out and you wrote that one and then you started writing a second one which was reclaimed and i remember when we were working together going back and forth on the names and stuff like that i can't remember what i had originally wanted to call it but uh i don't know but you were merciless uh with
1: regards to thinking and the various inflections you've put on that over the years so thank you for that
0: daniel (laughs) thinking (laughs) yeah and i was i was notorious too i mean you were generous with your books but i would just like give them out to people as prizes all the time Uh, Bringing it back, though, to your new book, Reclaimed. You wrote that book. Give a brief synopsis of what Reclaimed is about, why you wrote it. But then I want to hear, because that's been out for a year now, is that book still relevant in your mind, or is there anything you'd want to change or anything you'd want to add to it? Yeah, so the book's called Reclaimed. Subtitle is How Jesus Restores Our
1: Humanity in a Dehumanized World. It's a book that I had been researching and working on about six years before the pandemic happened. So the book went into publication or went into print, you know, getting, you know, it's this basically it's a year long process to get ready to go to print. And then shortly into the pandemic, the book uh, was released, which, which in some ways was really unfortunate because anybody, most, you know, most authors who had a book released during the pandemic, it was like, it was really challenging. But the, the premise of the book is dealing with four major questions that I see are the questions of our time. And and it's been interesting for me as I've researched this, and as I wrote on it, and as I've interacted with various people, just the overall agreement that my thesis, that what it means to be human is the question uh, of our time. And the four questions that I see are spinoffs of that that need to be addressed are what is a human being what is the value of human life what leads to human flourishing and how should humans live so those are the the four questions that are really just getting at this idea of of what it means to be human and with your last question daniel would i would i change anything do i still think it's relevant well i think it's even more relevant now than it was when i first when i first wrote it and interestingly enough it 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 did win second place which i am happy to be second for evangelistic resource of the year. So it was, it definitely, people saw value in addressing the gospel from a from the perspective of what it means to be human. Uh, if anything, uh, if I could add to it, all I would add is that this pandemic, if it's shown you anything, listener, if it has shown you anything, it is that your need for relationship is absolutely crucial. I think it. it we have been convinced of our need for community, which is a key thesis of the book, is that what it means to be human is is simply to live in relationship with God and people. And I think this pandemic has forced us to come to that realization uh, in a way that hasn't happened for a long time.
0: Yeah, I think the pandemic has made us think about, yeah, what is the best way for humans to flourish? You know, you talk a lot about this idea of reductionism, right? And, and by that being that in science today, we tend to just reduce everything to its its integral parts or like its matter. You know, at, at the deepest core, this is a few atoms of iron and a few ad- atoms of magnesium. To define things. Yeah, to define things. And even with that, with this idea of flourishing, I feel like right now, especially in Canada, we define what it means to live, to just not dying. And that to me is just like, hey, if you want to live, just don't die. And that the gospel says so much more about what human flourishing actually looks like, because I think as we're seeing, and I think the community piece is part of that, just staying alone and, uh, and, and being like stuck inside with the aspect of not dying. Well, I know there's a lot of people who would rather risk going out so that they could actually feel like they're alive and, and feel like they're flourishing. And I'd love to get some of your thoughts on that.
1: Well, you know, this is, a, I think, an issue that a lot of people are thinking through right now and is, is an important issue to think about. And here's actually a pretty interesting sticker that I saw when I was in Vancouver that really got got out. This there, there, People were posting these all over. Maybe some of you have seen these, but basically it is this picture showing a, a person from 1940 having to put on a backpack, a gun and head over into World War II. And then it had a picture of the person with a mask on hiding in their house and and it was really juxtaposing these two like how do we deal with this in society that on the one hand you know in the 40s we had to ship off you know people to go fight in a war and to give their lives for our freedom and to maintain freedom and what why is it what's going on right now that we have a culture that has built so much fear that people don't even want to step outside their doors. And I think that is an that is a huge question that we've got to deal with. What is going on here that we have such a high level of fear that is really directing the way our society is approaching
0: a lot of these issues? And, and, I, and I find that compelling. I don't know. What do you think about that? I, I The fear piece is huge. I think we're living in a place now where Christianity is more or less on the back burner. Like, it's not even on the middle burner where people want to kind of keep the pancakes warm. It's sitting on the back burner. It's like, I'll get to it eventually or not. I, I really don't care. Well, I guess I'm saying, Daniel, there's there's maybe a lot of things on the back burner right now.
1: Yeah, maybe. yeah. Even, even freedom on the back burner. Well, I mean, listen, I don't want to go too down this road. But, I mean, you got this, you know, you got the United States in this kind of face-off, you know. It's becoming more and more of this face-off with Russia and what's going to happen. And these things flare up. From time to time, right? Where one country, you know, whether it's China, you know, wanting to—they—they they flex in front of each other. Yeah, and... yeah. Whether it be with regards yeah. to Taiwan or or the Ukraine or or, or whatever. But I couldn't help but wonder, you know, if we had people who had to stand up against that here, you know, either in the United States or Canada, you, you can't help but wonder. I don't, I don't know if they would. I don't know if they would because I I don't know. I don't know I'm not sure what's going on have we taken our freedom for granted have we taken for granted that uh war is possible that that people do evil things I mean those are these are all important issues I guess what I'm trying to say Daniels it's not just religious issues it's it's human issues that
0: are at play no 100 it's it's unique and I was just even seeing a headline today and it was like whoa uh Russia and China are like shaking hands it's like are they now going to tag team against the United States and it's just you know there's so much that's out of our control but I feel like generations ago, the most fabric of society still believed deep down that there was a God, that there was a heaven and a hell. So even if they weren't really living it, they still believed that. And I think it gave them hope and it gave them grit and, and this this purpose to continue on. And I just wonder if a if a symptom of secularism that's a good that's a good line right there. Hmm. That's the next book title for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it under advisement. Yeah, yeah, under. I wonder if a symptom of secularism is this. It's fear. Is, well, is fear? Is what is fear? Is a an unwillingness to like to fight for anything, or like I don't know. It, it just. But isn't that kind of the irony, though? People are willing to fight for things.
1: They're willing. They're willing to advocate for their cause, but it, it, it's very individualistic activism. What do you mean by that? Go into that. Well, social justice at large tends to be what you think is is important and so you advocate and you rally for your cause but but what you see is this kind of breakdown of what it means to live in a community what does it mean to be a society uh, you know to to rally behind a cause together and also what does it look like actually to live together when we don't always agree on things how do we agree on some things and disagree on other things? Uh, these are all, I think, important questions that I would argue, and, and really come out in the book, that that these are all ultimately founded on our concept of what it means to be human, what it means to live a flourishing life, those sorts of things, and 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 that's where secular culture, I, I would say, has really cast confusion on this issue because as you were talking about earlier this kind of reductionism which is a, a lot of what my phd work is on is you know this idea that we're we're as a society taught that you define a thing by its parts not its whole it's like this even deeper root i guess to individualism that you know i don't i don't define myself within a community i define myself more individually in a secular society as well more so that then i define myself according to the parts that i'm made of and not the purpose i'm made for and and so we end up living these lives that become very disconnected
0: yeah I, the the piece of human design is something that's super important because god like the the designer has a specific purpose by which his design is to operate and so it is with god he god has designed us to live a certain way that actually well, first of all, is in relationship with him. And that relationship leads to the flourishing of relationship with others. What, what, yeah, what you're getting at is an
1: important point, Daniel. And that is that if you want to know what it means to flourish, you have to know the purpose that a thing was made for. If you don't know, if you don't have a concept of the purpose, you, you don't have a concept of the flourishing. In, in biblical language, the way this gets played out and you see this in passages like Colossians 1, 28, where Paul will say that in Christ we're, we're made perfect. And that word perfect in Greek is the word teleos, and it's the root word is telos, which is the word for purpose. And so you get this idea then that a thing is flourishing or is perfect when it's fulfilling the purpose that it was made for. And, and you and I actually talk this way in everyday life. Such as I, I've been working on uh, a car with my kids. We we have this 1992 Jeep Wrangler, rusty project. It's awesome. Oh, oh. well, we have got the seats out and we're we're sanding all the rust down and we're getting ready to paint it. But uh, Jeep Wranglers, they take a special kind of bolt uh, nut to take off um, the bolts. The, the they look like a star. At any rate, you know, I'm we're trying to find one that fits with my kids, and you know, you find the perfect fit. You know, we we talk in those kind of terms, and and what's when, what do we mean by a tool being perfect? We just mean that that was exactly what it was made for. It's kind of like, it's kind of like a Ferrari that has a flat tire. You and I understand that that's not the true flourishing of a Ferrari. That's not the glory of a Ferrari is to be on the side of a highway with a flat tire. It's to be, you know, driving on a racetrack or whatever you know at high speed you know we understand like because that's what it was designed for and when it's doing what it was designed for that's what it really means to flourish and and that that raises a challenging question in secular society to say okay then what's the purpose of human life and you know what does it mean to flourish as a human being well that's a problem in secular culture because there is no concept of what
0: a the purpose of being human is, anything more than just survival and just pleasure. So I will survive and whatever else gives me pleasure. But I think that answer is becoming less and less satisfying for people, which is then why they go seeking for other types of pleasure. Well, and that's what, but but ultimately it does lead you seeking though, doesn't it? Because if, you, yeah, does. if your
1: ultimate thing is, oh, okay, I'll just go seek pleasure, but you spend a couple of years seeking pleasure and you're not satisfied. Well, then you have to start to wonder, maybe I haven't landed on the human purpose yet.
0: Yeah. And so even with that, I think one of the greatest things that Christians have done for generations, and it's something that I think we as Christians and as the church need to do, is they've always been a, you know, faithful churches have always been a countercultural voice to what it means to be human, what it means to live, what it means to flourish. And I think we have to make sure we're doubling down on that and and saying, no, 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 what it, what it truly means, even if you don't like to hear it, you know, what it truly means to be, Human to flourish is to be in relationship with God, to love God, to know him, to experience him, and they don't have to like that answer, but i I do think it's important for the secular person to be hearing that alternative at least in their own mind, so it's not just an echo chamber
1: but isn't that interesting what you said earlier? you said it's countercultural and it has remained countercultural like It has been and continues to be a countercultural message. That to me, by the way, is in and of itself an interesting apologetic. Why is it that as human beings, we always fight against this? Where we are constantly, so the biblical concept of what it means, uh, what the purpose of human life is, as you're getting at here, Jesus says it over and over again, love God, love people. You were made to be in relationship with God, relationship with people but you know CS Lewis I love you know the title he has for his book the great divorce because ultimately he's just saying yeah we're created for relationship but we divorce ourselves we divorce ourselves from god we divorce ourselves from one another we live in broken relationship and so it's it's this interesting dichotomy where you're like on the one hand you realize and you understand your need for community but in your your brokenness or or we would call sin or evil People are just always fighting against that. And if we're honest with ourselves, we all do that. We fight it.
0: Yeah. So, and as we're coming to a close here, what is something that has been on your mind as you think about Canada, as you think about young adults, and what is one thing that you'd wanna share, uh, maybe a challenge to young adults, and then maybe share something else that's a hope for us young adults?
1: Here's my challenge that I would challenge young adults with, and Daniel, I think you'll appreciate this. Uh, young adults right now are like on the hunt for the best investment. All the young adults I know, they're like, whether it's um, Bitcoin, digital currency of of various stripes and and whatnot, no one wants to miss out, right? They don't want to miss out on the next big thing. They want to make sure that they're in on the best investment and that they're going to make as much a return as possible. They don't want to miss out on another Tesla explosion or Amazon stock or Shopify stock or or the like. And, And my challenge to young adults today is Jesus would say to you that money is not the greatest wealth that you have. Your life is, your time is, that's what that is your that is your greatest treasure that's that's what's worth the most and and i think jesus would be asking this generation how are you investing that and how much thought have you given to the way in which you're going to live your life that is going to give you the greatest return on investment at the end of the day because when we look back listen there's going to come a day when you're in your 80s 90s or whatever lord willing if you get to live that long Uh, i think some people though these days are like i don't even know if i want to live that long but if you did right and you're and you're looking back in the rearview mirror of your life uh, are you going to be asking yourself or thinking to yourself man i should have i should have bought more bitcoin I, i i i should have got on got in on that dogecoin back when before Elon you know, tweeted on it. Are, are you really gonna be thinking about that, right? Are you gonna have diplomas up on, up on your wall or surrounding yourself with pictures of your houses or, or those sorts of things you know, at the end of your life? And my challenge would just be, no, you're not. The message you see Jesus preaching from beginning to end that you see throughout the Bible is that it's your relationship with God and your relationship with people that you will constantly surround yourself with if you haven't ostracized yourself from all those things at the end of your life I mean, because i think at the end of your life you realize you have a great clarity of what really matters there's a there's a clarity that comes where you start to realize what really matters and my my point in all this is daniel if if we see that in other people if we if we see the logic that 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 that's the case then the question we have to ask ourselves is am i going to live as though that's true am i going to make a conscious effort to make life investments that I believe are going to pay the greatest return on investment. And that is my relationship with God and my relationship with people. Is that going to be the paradigm? Is that going to be the commitment by which I'm going to make the decisions of my life moving forward? That would be my
0: challenge. That's the challenge and a hope right there, because I mean, and you were preaching right there, Andy, like that's, it's, it's complete. You're completely right. Where will we invest? And at the end of the day, we know that the greatest investment, my dad used to always say, he's like, you know, if I was gonna spend money on a book or a Bible, he's like, any investment you can spend on your faith is a good investment. I think so it is with like any investment you can spend on Christian community, any investment you can spend on, you know, maybe it is a, a book or anything that's going, like, that's gonna give you a good return in what Jesus is saying in that spiritual realm and walking with Him and experiencing Him that's gonna be huge, tenfold, hundredfold, thousandfold returns. And we could break this down
1: real simple. I called up my mom the other day and I, I wasn't on my phone. I wasn't watching a TV show, right? I wasn't surfing the web. I just was on the couch talking with my mom. And my point is that is time well spent. That is a good investment. As I'm just simply talking with my mom, living in community, or as I'm with my boys working on our 1992 Jeep Wrangler and we're we're taking off the alternator, right? And we're spending time together. That is a good investment, you know, because sometimes we over spiritualize things, Daniel, and we say, oh, you know, you gotta it's it's reading the Bible or those things, and and trust me, those are good things, but but so are calling your mom, you know, so is spending time with your kids. So is, and this is a key one, and maybe this is a good one just to, to be thinking about, because this is where God's really even challenging me. So often when we think about prayer, Daniel, we think about prayer as this one one way sort of thing. Prayers are just when I come to God because I need something or or whatnot. And and I'm beginning to understand more and more that prayer is an opportunity for community. Prayer is an opportunity to be human. Prayer is this opportunity that I have to spend time with God and I spend time with people where together in community we're talking to God with each other. And that is a profoundly spiritual human activity as we do that, particularly when we walk with people through through challenging times in their lives and and we're just with them we're we're listening praying in community those those sorts
0: of activities are the greatest investment that we can make so as we move forward in 2022 as we come out of the pandemic let's listen let's pray and let's be with one another and and be with the lord in that so andy thank you for your time hey always a pleasure Daniel, thank you. It was uh, great being with you today. Well, thank you again, Andy. It's always a pleasure. It's always fun. Uh, If you want to find more information of Andy's ministry, you can go to apologeticscanada.com. You can find all sorts of information on, you know, Leadership Summit they have coming up, their conference in 2022. They have various speakers as well. If your church wants to bring in someone from Apologetics Canada, there's a way for you to do that as well. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time. All the best. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. IN Doubt is a ministry that exists to engage young people with Biblical truth and provide answers for many of today's questions of life, faith, and culture. Through audio programs, articles, and blogs, IN Doubt reaches out to encourage, strengthen, and disciple young adults. To check out all the resources of IN Doubt, visit indoubt.ca in Canada or indoubt.com in the U.S. Or if you're in a position or share a passion for the ministry of young people, you can support the ongoing mission of engaging a new generation with the truth of the Bible. First, you can pray for this ministry. And second, and if you are able, please consider a financial gift by visiting indoubt.ca in Canada or indoubt.com in the U.S. Your gift of any amount is such a blessing and an answer to prayer. Thanks.